Good morning. Um, today I want to remind you that after the lecture I will be available to answer questions and I really would appreciate it if you have a question if you would ask it. Um, it's been reported to me sometimes that people thought I had said something that wasn't biblical or there was a misunderstanding about what I had said. So I'd much rather that if you're not sure or if you have a question or if you're just curious, ask me. And if I know the answer, I'll tell you. If I don't know it, I'll do my best to find out and tell you at another time. But please do feel free to ask questions at the end of the lecture. Now, uh, I'm gonna go ahead and start sharing the screen. And let me start by reminding you once more that um, if at all possible, it would be good if you would mute both your audio and your video to give us more bandwidth for the lecture. So thank you for doing that. And today we're going to be working with Psalms 23, 63, and 99, and our topic is Seeking God. As I was looking at Psalm 27 especially, one thing that came to mind um, is that he addresses the topic of fear. We've all faced fear at one time or another, and I suspect that for most of us, this year, 2020, has triggered a number of fears or concerns. Um, in fact, uh, there have been natural disasters. Uh, people have faced a lot more loneliness than usual. Some people have been facing job loss. We've been hearing in the news about riots and violence. And um, of course, we've been hearing about COVID-19. Even our president now has it. Um, some people have been disturbed about lies in the media or fake news. <clears throat> Some people have been suffering from grief. So all kinds of things going on that <clears throat> could lead to fear. Fortunately for us, we have God's word to help us know how to respond to such challenges. <clears throat> so let's open our Bibles to Psalm 27 and uh, talk about how to respond to fear. Um, First of all, that the, the process that you see him following here is that David praises God first. And he does that, as he does that, he is remembering who God is and what he has done. And so I want to look with you at verse 1 of Psalm 27, where we read, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the defense of my life. Whom shall I dread? There's some nice uh, <clears throat> parallelism going on there. Um, but notice that the Lord is your light. He is your salvation. He is your refuge, the defense of your life. Continuing, when evildoers come upon me to devour my flesh, my adversaries and my enemies, they stumbled and fell. Though a host encamp against me, my heart will not fear. So the Lord is also your protector and your source, for, source of confidence in the face of fear. That's what you do first then. You remind yourself of who God is and what he has done. And then you pray. You seek God and you wait for him. 
verses four through six, we see the speaker, David, seeking God's presence. He says, one thing I have asked from the Lord, <coughs> that shall I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. So we see him seeking God's presence and one reason is just to be with the Lord. He wants to dwell with him. He also wants to see his beauty. And then going on, he wants to be protected. Notice, for in the day of trouble, he will conceal me in his tabernacle. In the secret place of his tent, he will hide me. He will lift me up on a rock. <coughs> and now my head will be lifted up above my enemies around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing. Yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. The tent, of course, being referred to there would be the tabernacle, the place where he would go to worship. So he is seeking the Lord to be protected and victorious and exalted. He also wants to praise God and show his gratitude. Um, then we see that he's also asking for help in verses 7 through 12. We read, Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice, and be gracious to me, and answer me. When you said, Seek my face, my heart said to you, Your face, O Lord, I shall seek. It's pretty neat to notice that God invites us to seek him here. He's, uh, verse 9, Do not hide your face from me. This is the uh, David returning to praying. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my help. Do not abandon me, nor forsake me, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me up. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me in a level path because of my foes. Do not deliver me over to the desire of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and such as breathe out violence. So there we see um, that he's asking the Lord to hear him, to show him favor by answering him. In verse 9, he's basically saying, don't get mad and turn away from me. Don't leave me stranded. In verse 11, he says, teach and lead me. And in verse 12, please don't let my enemies win. Instead, we see finally in the last couple of verses that he is waiting confidently to see God's goodness. He says, I would have despaired unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. <clears throat> Be strong and let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. <clears throat> we see him waiting confidently to see God's goodness, and he expects to see it while he's still living. Waiting on the Lord involves patience enduring till God acts, but it also uh, implies confident expectation, which is biblical hope. Um, David is fully anticipating that God will do everything that he has promised. So that reminded me of this verse from Isaiah 40, verse 31. There were, see, we see that waiting in true faith, which is biblical hope, uh, results in renewed strength. Those who hope in the Lord or those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. This is one of those promises that we can confidently expect God to keep. 
So as we face fears, another passage also that should strengthen our faith, faith is Romans 8, verses 31 through 39. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. We are God's beloved children. He is for us. No matter what happens, we can trust him. And nothing can separate us from him or from his love. We need to learn from David in Psalm 27 to focus on what we know about God, to seek his presence, and to wait confidently for him. Let's look again at verse 14. Wait for the Lord, be strong, and let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. I was struck by that word let. We must allow ourselves to take courage. So where are we taking it from? I'm sure you're answering in your heart from the Lord himself. Being in God's waiting room can be difficult, but it's often where we grow the most. We learn to wait on his time and he's never late. He just may not have the same schedule that we do. We don't want to be like Saul. Those of you who were with us last spring remember that Saul at one point was waiting for David, I mean, waiting for Samuel to come to make an offering. And um, he got impatient. He felt as though his men were deserting him. And so he went ahead and offered the sacrifice before Samuel arrived. He was disobeying the instructions that he had had from the Lord. And Samuel came right after that and told him that God was judging him and uh, he was going to be giving the kingdom to another man. Uh, we know later that that man is David. Um, <clears throat> the passage where... Um, Samuel speaks to him about that is 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 14. But now your kingdom shall not endure. The Lord has sought out for himself a man after his own heart, and the Lord has appointed him as ruler over his people, because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. And then Paul quotes this passage in Acts 13, 22. He says, and when he had removed him, that is when the Lord had removed Saul from being king, he raised up for them David as king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. Psalm 63, the next psalm in our, in our list, shows us some of the ways that David was a man after God's own heart. Did you notice the setting for Psalm 63 in the wilderness of Judah or Judea? 
It's no wonder that the psalm begins with a reference to intense thirst. This is indeed a dry, a dry and weary land. Um, you had um, a question in your lesson, question 8a, saying, why do you think God spoke of David as a man after his own heart? And um, I want to go back to that previous PowerPoint. Um, notice the words that I have in yellow there. When Paul quoted it, he, he pointed out that one, I think he's implying that one way that David was a man after God's own heart is that he would do God's will. Um, even when David didn't do God's will, he was quick to admit when he was wrong and to repent. And I think that that is certainly a way that he was a man after God's own heart. But we also have in Psalm uh, 63 some other uh, details about his relationship with God that I wanted to go over with you. First of all, if you look at verse 1, he says, Oh God, you are my God. I shall seek you earnestly. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh yearns for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So we find here that he knew God personally. He, he calls him my God. And he intensely desired to spend time with God, to see God's power and his glory. Look at verse 2. Thus I have seen you in the sanctuary to see your power and your glory. And then in verse 3 he says, Because your loving kindness is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. In verse 3 when he says, My lips will praise you, that word praise is for um, it reflects serene adoration, a serene, reflective, quiet time of adoration of the Lord. Uh, in verse 4, when he says, I will bless you as long as I live, I will lift up my hands, then we see public praise. But he enjoyed praising God, and he did it often, both in private and in public. In verse 5, he says, My soul is satisfied as with marrow and fatness, and my mouth offers praises with joyful lips. So he felt satisfied in God. Verse 6, when I remember you on my bed, I meditate on you in the night watches, for you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I sing for joy. He remembered what God had done for him, and he was grateful. Um, and notice also that idea of God helping him, um, that he, was, he felt protected in the shadow of God's wings, and therefore he continues to praise God. He is singing for joy. Verse 8, he depended on God. He says, my soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. We turn to God in faith, and he holds us. I want to think about that just a little bit, that verse 8. Um, we don't have to worry about whether or not we can cling to God hard enough. The Almighty's got this. And so there are some verses I wanted to share with you to reinforce that point. In John 10, the Lord Jesus was speaking in John 10, starting with verse 27, and he said, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. 
I and my Father are one. So notice that <clears throat> he gives to his followers, his sheep, eternal life. They will never perish, and no one can snatch us out of his hands or out of the Father's hands. So we can cling to him, but he is the one who's actually holding us up. Isaiah 41.10 says, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Once more, we have promises that we can cling to here as we're waiting on the Lord. And these promises are strengthening promises to us. Um, notice uh, the final part of Psalm 63, the last three verses, 9 through 11, we read, But those who seek my life to destroy it will go into the depths of the earth. They will be delivered over to the power of the sword. They will be a prey for foxes. But the king will rejoice in God. Everyone who swears by him will glory. For the mouths of those who speak lies will be stopped. So um, most of that psalm has been talking about the way he seeks the lord and praises the lord and has this wonderful relationship with him but also part of what he does is to turn to the lord and ask god to give justice to those who have been his enemies who have been mistreating him and he also has confidence that god is going to handle that as well and that idea of justice goes along well with what we need to talk about in psalm 99 our final psalm <clears throat> Um, here we see um, we're going to end with um, in a spirit of reverence because this psalm really uh, focuses on God's holiness. We need an accurate and complete view of God and such a view starts with trying to understand his holiness. He's infinitely far above us and set apart in his sinless perfection as a holy God. And so we have a list of uh, in this psalm of a number of God's um, characteristics, and I want us to kind of consider those as we look now at verse 1. We read that <clears throat> the Lord reigns, let the people tremble. He is enthroned above the cherubim, let the earth shake. So God is sovereign. He is in control of heaven and earth. He's also powerful and magnificent. Notice that he's enthroned above the cherubim. Um, that suggests his being magnificent, awe-inspiring, and of course um, it's not surprising that the people would tremble as they contemplate such a God. I'm reminded of Isaiah 6 where Isaiah also uh, trembled and said, woe is me, and was reminded of his own sinfulness as he was allowed to have a vision of God in heaven. Verse 2 says, the Lord is great in Zion. So he's great as in he is magnified, he is important, and he is exalted above all the peoples. Um, verse 3, let them praise your great and awesome name. Holy is he. So he is awesome, that is uh, awe-inspiring. And uh, holy, his holiness is mentioned in three of the nine verses. So a third of the psalm is focused on God's holiness. We see it in verses 3, 5, and 9. In fact, verses 5 and 9 are almost exactly the same. Um, 
We also see in verse 4 that God is strong. The strength of the king loves justice. He is also just. You have established equity. You have executed justice and righteousness in Jacob. Verse 5, exalt the Lord our God and worship at his footstool. Holy is he. So he is righteous, verse 4. And then in verses 6 through 8, we see him answering prayer. Uh, Moses and Aaron were among his priests, and Samuel was among those who called on his name. They called on the Lord, and he answered them. So he also answers prayer. He spoke to them in the pillar of, of cloud. They kept his testimonies and the statute that he gave them. O Lord, our God, you answered them. You are a forgiving God to them, and yet an avenger of their evil deeds. Exalt the Lord our God and worship at his holy hill, for holy is the Lord our God. So he answers prayer, he keeps his word, he forgives, he also punishes disobedience. What should be our response to such a God? We should tremble before him. We should praise him, as um, we see in verse 3. Verses 5 and 9 talk about exalting him. They also, those same verses, talk about worshiping him. We should call upon him. And verse 7, we should obey him. Let me end with this verse from 1 Chronicles 16, 29. Give to the Lord the glory, do his name. Bring an offering and come before him. Oh, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. We have so much that we can learn from these three psalms about seeking the Lord, being confident in him in the face of fear, um, having a relationship in which we desire to spend time with him and to put him first. And then we also need to have the reverent awe that comes from contemplating his holiness and his other perfections. So let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to study and learn from your word. We pray that you will help these truths to sink into our hearts and change our lives and help us to be more like you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.